0: Well, hello everyone, and are you ready to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21? And uh, last week we left Paul and his team, they were in Ephesus, well, they weren't in Ephesus, but they were with the Ephesus elders, and they wanted to make sure that these elders were ready and prepared, and they were I'm um, ready to to grow and mature the church, and and Paul gave them his warnings about um, being guard about um, false teaching, and that it can come from without and within. We always have to be mindful of that. We can never get secure in in our thinking that nothing can. Can sway us or or pull us away. We need to always be on guard that we are hanging to God's word that that we're studying and that we don't get lax. Um, I know, I know, I I sound like a broken record, but I just want to make sure that you understand how important it is. Even when we can't be together and uh, feel that momentum, um, that you will see how important it is to really. Um, Take this time, even with podcasting, that it is your personal time that you take with the Lord. And it's just like going to Bible study, that you would get in the car and go, that maybe you just Schedule this into your weekly, into your weekly um, schedule. So um, it's that critical that we do our lessons that we're in God's word every day and we're really studying. So Paul knew what he was talking about when he when he addressed those elders. He said, "You have to keep your people on guard." And then, of course, um, it was so sweet when they left. When they when they parted, that they knew they would never see each other again. And um, yeah, that is always hard. But you know, you always have the hope we do as believers, as Christians. We know that, um, in fact, I had a say, I well, I don't want to say the word goodbye but I have a wonderful wonderful um elderly lady friend who came into my life at just the right time and she was such a a spiritual mother kind of to me and and she is uh, um 96 years old she's had a wonderful life but she is on the last minutes of her life and I went and and I um went to see her and I even sang to her and uh um, it was it was uh, hard to part when you know you won 't see actually see that person again, but one thing I did say when I left I said to her Hilda, um, I am not going to say goodbye to you i 'm especially not going to say goodbye to you, and i 'll just say see you later that 's what we have as believers. We know this is really not our home. We are going to gather in our new home, our forever home. And we always have to keep ourselves in check that we don't let um, the things of this world um, cause us to be overpowered and overwhelmed. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Even in the most difficult times or even saying our see you later, it is never easy, but we can say see you later instead of goodbye, something so final. So anyway, would you pray with me, please, as we go into our new lesson? Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And now as we go into this 21st chapter, Lord, may we not get am bored or or even think that these when are these journeys going to be done to paul or when are we going to go on to something else no we have to see the whole season of paul's life we have to know how he reacts to things that are going on because he what happens to him happens to us. And so, Lord, we want to learn from Paul. May we, may we have open hearts and ears to want to hear what you have to teach us in this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, after we had torn ourselves away, you can tell that motion is still, it's so fresh. And Luke is saying, because he's part of the team, and he is saying, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Cass. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Venicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and, and passing to the south of it, we sailed out to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem Now, I want to stop there because, you know, they're journeying, and and we've talked about it before. The Holy Spirit has been very much alive in Paul's life, and he is so in tune. His spirit is so in tune to the Holy Spirit. There's, There's the real key. When our spirit is in tune to the Holy Spirit, and and Paul is very much aware of what's going on, and he knows how long to stay, and he knows um, he he just is listening to God's voice all the time. Well, um, he is now staying with these certain disciples, and they are urging him not to go to Jerusalem. And it said through the Spirit. And and maybe you you thought because it went through my mind, how come they didn't listen to him? If it was the spirit telling them, but it yes, it was the spirit telling them that that Paul was in for some tough times. Well, anybody who loves somebody, and and they know that they're going to be heading to tough times. Your impulse is to say, don't go. But, but here we have to appreciate what Paul knows has got to happen. And I'm going to take you two back. I'm going to take you back to last week when Paul said in chapter 20, verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So he knows the Holy Spirit has made him ready, prepared. It won't throw him off because he knows what's what's ahead. But what he said was, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. So Paul knows that he is in God's will right now. And even though the Holy Spirit has told the disciples that Paul is heading into danger, they naturally want to warn him and say, don't go. But Paul says in verse 5, but when our time was up, actually Luke is saying this but about the whole situation, but when our time was up, we left and continued on our way so it 's not that Paul wasn 't listening to these people, but he couldn't he couldn 't um, sidetrack he couldn 't and you 're going to hear it later again that that people are trying to keep him safe, and he 's saying no i 've got to do what i 've got to do so the Holy Spirit is not saying different messages. the Holy Spirit is speaking the same message. To Paul first, then to the disciples, and then later to Agabus. But I just want, I just don't want you to get confused that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go. No, the Holy Spirit is letting them know that Paul is heading into hardship, but Paul is saying, you got to let me go. So anyway, here we go. It says, all the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. The church had to go on. They returned home. The church had to, had to keep expanding, and this is what happens. I mean, no one lives forever. And so we do what we can while we're alive and until the Lord calls us home. And we're going to see that even though Paul's earthly journey going from city to city is not going to continue too much longer, he's still going to have a great ministry. And I think that is why he later said in to his letter to the people of Philippi, to that church and the people he loves so much, he said, I have learned that whatever state I'm in, there I am content. That's where the Lord wants me now. Uh, Isn't that what we want? Isn't that a desire that no matter what surprise hits us or what um, happens that we certainly weren't expecting or you know how life goes to be able to say like Paul because he had learned it from all of his experiences and his growth and his maturity in the Lord Jesus, he learned that. It didn't come easy or natural. He had to work at it. That's what we're doing podcast after podcast, lesson after lesson, to get so that we trust the Lord so much that we too can say, whatever state I'm in, I'm content Because even though my circumstances change, he doesn't. His love for me is the same. His plan for me is perfect. And again, we're going to get into that in a minute. But here we go. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Petoleumus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. I'm so glad that Luke put that in there so we could know, because you know there are so many times we we run into the same name people and uh, we wonder if they were the one that did this or such. But here, there's no question. He was one of the seven deacons that were picked. Remember a few, uh, quite a few chapters behind. So, Philip, they, they went and stayed at Philip's house, and Philip is still evangelizing. And then it says, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And one of the questions I asked you was, um, do you think that Paul shared Jesus? Do you think Philip shared Jesus? Do you think these girls, wouldn't you have loved to been at that house when these people were together, Philip and his daughters and Paul and the team? Can you imagine what that conversation was like? Their, their love for the Lord their service their servant's heart they've been serving the lord these four girls been gifted with the um, gift of prophecy so here here again you you just can't help but love that when you have a camaraderie when when you have something that centers your friendship what it what really centers I have a friend that I know that, that our, our relationship is based on Jesus. We are, we are different in so many ways, and yet we can be the best of friends because we know that our common denominator is Jesus, and our conversation, nine chances out of ten, is about him. And it's a friendship that's, that's priceless. So Paul and Philip and his daughters, I just think that that had have been a wonderful time for all of them. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So, just what we've been saying. The Holy Spirit told, made it very clear to the prophet Agabus, and Agabus now uses a visual. I mean, take, he takes Paul's belt And he he ties his own hands and feet and says that the Holy Spirit says, in this way, Paul is going to be taken and handed over to the Gentiles. What breaks my heart, and it does over and over, is that and we're going to see such comparisons of how Jesus was treated and how Paul was treated. And who did they have their hardest time with? I mean, throughout all of Acts, you know, so much of Paul's trouble happened when Jews from one city or another came up and, and caused commotion and and it's hard when your your battle, your fight is with people you least expect. And even in this prophecy, Agabus is saying that the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner and hand him over to the Gentiles. Well, when we heard this, see, even, even Lucas says, it's so hard to hear that, knowing that Agabus, who, who we trust and who the Holy Spirit made very clear, and then he demonstrated with a visual you could miss. And they're thinking, we love Paul, and, and it's our job to keep him from danger. And so it says that we heard this and, and and we and the people we pleaded with Paul. You know, you can almost hear him. Don't go to Jerusalem. You've had so many signs. You were told that in every city, you were told by the Holy Spirit. Your disciples, when we landed in Tyre, and those disciples through the Holy Spirit said, You're gonna land in trouble. You're going to have hardships. And now it's been so clear, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answers this way. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you doing this? This is not easy. You know, when when people that you love back is trying to, talk to you and and convince you to not do something i mean none of us wants to walk into trouble and hardships and especially if we know it's going to happen i mean your natural human nature is to not go there and then of course you want to not leave those people that team that you love and so paul just is very honest I know I gotta go. And you keep telling me don't go in that pool. Why are you breaking my heart? I am ready. Boy this was a a powerful spiritual choice. This took this took everything of what Paul knows about Jesus and his sovereignty. And his plan and his perfection it took Paul's faith because again you are fighting human nature at its most powerful right here and you heard it when he says why why are you breaking my heart and then you could almost I am ready I'm ready to be bound, but I'm also ready to die. I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He is being prepared. He is being tested, too. Our testing never is over until we get to glory. We will always be to to make sure that our heart and our mouth and our actions all are working together to prove our faith in the Lord's will and this is what they're going to say when he would not be dissuaded we gave up I mean this is Luke this is you know the people closest to Paul we, we could see that Paul had made the choice to, to hold on to his faith, to trust what the Holy Spirit has warned and prepared him for. And so we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Now, I stopped there because it's so easy to hear the story and then to move on right to verse 15. But I thought, no, I have to stop here for my own sake and hopefully for yours. Let's just take a look at the Lord's will be done. Easy to rattle off. The Lord's will be done. But what does that really mean? How important is it that we desire to be in the Lord's will, even when we know that it probably isn't going to be comfortable, or we're probably not going to be real happy. But when you desire to be in the Lord's will, why is that the best place to be? Well, I found some verses, and of course, the one that pops into my mind is the one in James, um, chapter 4, verse 15, where James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, the one who wrote five chapters of absolute no nonsense instruction, when he made sure that we, when we ask, or when we um, lay our requests out to the Lord, when we petition him, which we are to do, I mean, Paul said that we can bring anything before him, we can bring our petitions and our, our longings and our prayers before him. And he knows what they are, but it it just feels so right when we just kind of unload and say, Oh, Lord, this this is so what I would like. I think this would be such a good way to work this out. James makes sure that we know that making plans is perfectly fine, but we should always, always, when we make our plans, when we bring our petitions, when we cry out to the Lord, because what is our natural, when hardships are there, what is our natural cry? Lord, take this away. And James is instructing very simply in James 4.15, he's saying, we should always say, but your will be done. But I don't don't want to go there. I don't, I don't, you've got that human nature and there again, you've got two ears and one ear is just hearing loudly what your human self wants. But are you willing, like Solomon when you wrote Proverbs, are you willing to listen to God's voice? Do you really want God's will? I'm going to, here's some more verses for you that, that they sure help me. Because God's will, when you you relinquish, when you surrender, when you desire God's will, that is a a peace that passes all understanding, but it is hard to get there. It is hard to really say at the end of our petitions your will be done. It sounds good. But if we still are worried and uptight and tense, that means we really haven't surrendered to his will. And that maybe we really don't want it. Well, well, you know this verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Now, again, it's easy to quote, isn't it? It's easy to quote, but stop and listen for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. You see, and I know I graded you. I know exactly how I want to use you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But you and I have to remember that when these words were written by Jeremiah, when Jeremiah heard the voice of the Lord say, write this down, it wasn't in the best of times. In fact, it was totally the worst of times. The kingdom of Judah was ready to be taken to captivity by the Babylonians. And it was very hard to look at these words and say, What are you talking about? Plans to prosper, to harm, not to harm, plans to give me hope and a future. We are doomed or are heading to captivity. The only reason they're headed to captivity is because of their disobedience. And this is, to me, a 70-year wake-up call for the kingdom of Judah. Because God also said to them, after 70 years, in other words, after 70 years, you better get your act together. I will then bring you back to Jerusalem. I will bring you back home. Because I do have plans for you. And they are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Right away, we automatically look at our physical. We look at our physical self. Oh, good, he's going to prosper me, so I'll have plenty of everything. And I won't be harmed, so nothing's going to touch me. No, this is not necessary. These people are going into captivity, and some of them are going to die in captivity. 70 years, probably a whole generation. But he always gives us hope. He's saying, I will, after 70 years, and you can blame no one but yourself for this captivity because I gave you plenty of warnings but this verse, toward the end of Jeremiah, he's saying, but I have plans for you. I can still bring you back, and I can bring this nation back and bring a Savior through you. He had plans, He even way back from Abraham, he had plans to build a nation called Israel, the Jews, in which he would bring, he would raise up a King David, and through David's line would be the Savior Jesus. You talk about plans that will give you hope in a future. See, we have got to look beyond our even right now. We've got to know that God loves us. He's got a plan, and it's going to be for our good. Romans 8, 28 says, for we can know, we can know that all things will turn out for good to those who do love him and who are willing to surrender and be called according to his purpose. And then the 29th verse says, and what is God's purpose? To turn us into the likeness of his son. Those are his plans That's our future if we just allow him to have his way with us. When we start stepping aside and letting God take over, that's when these verses in God's will show us that we should want nothing but being in the center of his will. Do you really have the desire to be in his will? Are you really asking for it? Matthew 6, verse 10, when Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to say all the time, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, as God's will is perfect in heaven, may you desire to be in God's will here on earth because you are convinced that you don't want to have anyone else's will, not even your own in your own life. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he's basically calling you and I foolish if we do not desire God's will. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Hebrews 10, verse 36 You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. You need unique desiring and, and being in God's will when you've got that terrible pull of yourself saying, Yeah, but it might not be what you want. The writer of Hebrews says you need to persevere so that you, when you've done the will of God, will receive what he's promised. And then the real eye-opener for me is Matthew 7.21, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to get into heaven. And we forget to take the rest of that Verse. Yeah, it's a wake-up call, knowing that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to turn into glory. But the only ones who are going to get there are the ones who have done the will of my Father. The will of the Father is to know His Son. And to know His Son means to then listen and obey His instructions, his word. So, when was the last time you really sang, I surrender all? All to Jesus. See, the writer of this old hymn, he got it. And I want to get to that point where I get it. And I hope and pray you do too. All to Jesus. I surrender all to Him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. I want to daily live. So, do you desire His will? Do you desire His perfect plan? Are you willing to surrender it all? Now, how do you know you're in God's will? How that's always a big question. If you desire it, I heard this one time, and I don't mean to be simple, make it so simple, but it kind of is. If you really desire to be in the center of God's will, and He can see that in your heart, because you're not fooling anybody. Well, maybe you are fooling other people by what you say, but you're not fooling him. And if he can see that you really desire his will, I heard he'll see to it. You won't miss it. Again, ask. If you really ask for his will, what does he say? You'll find it. If you really knock, if you're persistent, and you really, really mean it, that door of his will will be opened unto you. Ask, seek, seek it, knock. And remember that His when he opens a door for you, I think one of the checkpoints is, is this contrary to his word? Is this contrary to what Jesus told us? Sometimes we can talk ourselves into anything. Oh, um, the Lord, this is what the Lord wants. Apparently, I heard this one time where, you know, I heard a man say, well, you know, I, I found a, a better woman. It was the Lord's will that that I just put my first wife aside and then get get to her, get to this new one. No, God's word would never put the stamp of approval on that. So you got to make sure do you really desire God's will? See if when the door opens, that it's just not at all contrary to His word. And you can usually, a lot of times, I will ask for a flea sometimes. Lord, is this your will? I need a confirmation. If you're in his will, you totally put yourself aside and make yourself available to him. And you depend on him. And you turn your ear off from the voice of self in the world, and you want to hear, you want to hear God's voice, his spirit. And from what we're learning here, the Holy Spirit makes it very clear to Paul, to the disciples of Tyre, to Agabus, to the team. But Paul, even though he knows it's not going to be pleasant, he does not want to step out of God's will because you don't want to miss the best. And even though it could be the Toughest times, what you're going to learn or what you're going to experience about sensing his presence and making your relationship to him just come alive. Do you want God's will or do you want your own? Who is it about anyway? Who are you living your life for anyway? And what I have learned about Paul, and I just absolutely love and I mean, it's just like Jesus in so many ways. But Paul wanted nothing less than God's will, no matter what it was. Because his life, remember what he said last week when when I... When he heard about the Holy Spirit telling him that hard things were up, I repeat, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I can finish the race and complete the task that the Lord has given me. Who are you living for? I guess that's the bottom line question, isn't it? Verse 15, after this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Rhea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manassan, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James head of the church here in Jerusalem and all the elders were present Paul greeted them and reported in detail this is another thing I would have loved to have been Paul's way of telling the story and the truth of the experiences I thought was something else he reported in detail what God had done I'm sure when he told this and that's why luke wrote this down just make sure you know that paul didn't take any credit i think this is what luke says please don't ever think that this went to paul's head and when he's telling one experience after the other one salvation after another he is not at all thinking that oh i'm so good at this he knows he knows what his life had been, and he knows the only one that could have changed him. And he's such a changed man because now he is being run by God's Spirit and His life is for Jesus' sake and not his own. And so he's Luke just wrote that. He says, He told in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry he knew he was a vessel he knew the Lord was powering his mouth and his feet and his brain and and his heart most of all and he was letting Paul share this truth of the gospel but yet Paul knew that in and of myself I'm nothing but look what God can do through us When they heard this, they praised God. Then then they said to, to Paul. So they were thrilled. They praised God. They didn't pat Paul and the team on their back. They just praised God. They probably had this great praise gathering. Thank you, Lord, for all what you're doing. When they heard this, then they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They're saying, oh, we're praising the Lord, but Paul, um, we've got a little problem. There are thousands of Jews that are coming to Christ, but they are still really, really caught in the the." traditions. They can't let go. They don't understand. In fact, they're even, they're, even, they're even saying rumors. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so, so do what we tell you. They're they're believing, they're believing Jesus, but you know what? It's a problem when they believe that Jesus isn't enough. And the thing is, traditions in themselves are not wrong think of some of them that I still hold, even though I know they're not necessary, but it was the way I brought, was brought up. It was the way I, I came to church or the way, you know, I, there's just little things that I just still hold to, even though I know it has nothing to do with salvation, but it is my way of worshiping. And to me, this is what I want. I won't push it on anybody else. But, but it was quite a problem, I guess. And so they said, Paul, this is what we want you to do.
1: They will certainly
0: hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. And it's probably that Nazarite vow that we've talked about that Paul took. And then he went off it, remember? And then he cut his hair, and then I explained all that to you. So Paul had no trouble with these traditions. But there's no way that Paul's going to preach the gospel and say that you do not have salvation unless you do this too. But Paul, when, when you read in his letters, especially in Romans chapter 14, Paul is so conscientious about not being a stumbling block don't you find that a lot of your things kind of they're not as important anymore the more that you understand what freedom in Christ is and so this is the this is the dilemma we're in right now and and Paul is just going to go right along with it because He just doesn't want anybody to stumble if they think that this is necessary and that he doesn't want anybody with rumors and have it take away from the message of the gospel. And so he's just pretty much saying, you know what, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And here's these four men who had made a vow, take these men, join in their purification rites, Pay their expenses so that they can have their head shaved. Now, we, we know Paul's been through all this. And sometimes these traditions, like I said before, sometimes the traditions, even though they don't have anything to salvation, they help you in your relationship, in your closeness with the Lord. And so here it says um, pay their expenses and everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you that, that you're not trying to cut off role, um, Moses and you're not trying to, um, that you don't hate the law and that in fact you're not anti-Jew anymore. People are thinking that you just don't even want to be classified a Jew anymore. Oh, and that couldn't have been farther from the truth. Paul loved being a Jew. But he also learned about what freedom in Christ meant. Old Testament turned into New Testament. And see, some people just kind of like to stay. There's These believing Jews that still wanted to hold on to some of the Old Testament. But you know what? If they believed in Jesus and they came to the cross of Christ and they still wanted to hang on to some of these traditions, more power to them, Paul says. But as for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food to sacrifice to idols, from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual morality. Remember that letter? We've been through all this before. But Paul, the next day, took the men, those four men purified himself along with him, and then they went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. had no problem with the traditional rituals he had no problem with them they weren't wrong but he is he is learning and he knows they will learn too is that when it comes to salvation they're just not necessary Jesus is our salvation but again, I, I repeat, he did not have a problem with it. And I, I want to clarify, too, when they offered this offering, it says, um, when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. It wasn't an offering for atonement. It was an offering of gratitude and dedication and thankfulness. Paul was not at all swayed. But when he talks about, in his letters, when he says, you know, don't make a big deal out of things, these believing Jews, maybe they're just, you know, they're babies yet. They've got to learn this. And don't do anything that will stand in the way of them learning and maybe down the road, they'll say, oh, remember when we thought we needed this? And So it, it's kind of an unusual section, but uh, I think one that we can learn from and see how much we are tied in, to our traditions and, and maybe a little more than what we want to admit. And... And what is freedom in Christ? What is, what is Paul trying to say? It's kind of the same thing Jesus was trying to say. Remember in John 80s that truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the, son, if the sun sets you free, In other words, every one of us are slaves to sin, but because of Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, when you come to him and come to his cross and accept his grace and his blood sacrifice, you are set free. That's what Jesus says. The Son set you free. You will be free indeed. John 8:31 and 32 says same if you abide in my word and you are my disciples and in other words you follow me and my teachings you will know the truth and the truth will set you free so John 8 is your chapter of Jesus explaining how he wants you and I to live not carrying the heavy weights of the bondage of sin. I mean, look at Paul wrote in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Holy Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of, of death, of the heavy weight. I... I heard Billy Graham say this, and I wrote this down. When Christ followers, when we're Christ followers, we still battle with sin. Of course, right? You, you and I would admit that. But as Christ followers, we are no longer slaves to it, because through the power of Christ that now lives within us, His people, you and me, we can be set free from the bondage of greed, vanity, pride, pornography, addiction, abusive behavior, gluttony, selfishness, shame, guilt, loneliness, doubt. All of that is such heavy weight on us And Jesus is trying to say, I've come so that truly, truly, I say to you, if you come to the cross, the, the Son will set you free, and you will be free indeed. And when you abide in me and my word, and you want to be a follower of mine, you will know that. And this truth will set you free. It's like why carry that heavy weight? Being set free, freedom in Christ. How do you find that freedom in Christ? I think God tells us. I mean, He starts by saying we have to acknowledge our brokenness. We've got to admit that we've got this certain thing that we're a slave to. It's like we, we just can't seem to help it. Well, how do you solve that? <laughs> choose Jesus, choosing Jesus, and choose then to follow Him daily. Because only he can break the power of sin. Only Jesus can. And to be able to think that you and I can be free. Free indeed. I know I went off on a tangent there, but, you know, I just just couldn 't help but think about how we get caught sometimes in the in making the negotiable things that the scripture really doesn 't say yes or no to, but we make them non negotiable just by because we want them to we want them to be non negotiable but the only non negotiable factor is that salvation is found in Christ alone. And when you come to the cross and then you then you receive his Holy Spirit, then that's when he starts chipping away at that old nature and makes you and I new and it just releases all so that we can live in this freedom. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple, and they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. See, there we go again. The Jews from the province of Asia. And they are shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus and Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Well, he didn't, and assuming it's such a dangerous word. And so be careful with that word. But see, Paul, he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers when it comes to, you know, uh, baby Christians. But yet, when it comes even to the temple, I mean, the temple of God is not a building. And, and anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome to come. The temple of God now resides within us. I mean, Paul knows all this now, but they don't know all that yet. And see, we run into people all the time. We have to be careful because even though they might have accepted Christ as their Savior, they don't know all this. They have to discover the truth. And maybe we can help them along the way, but never in condemnation. Jesus doesn't even condemn us, Paul says. So we should not be in condemnation, but we should lead them in showing them how they can be set free. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some of the officers and the soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, he, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. And some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. See, all that noise, all that commotion. And when Paul reads the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. And the crowd that carried him kept shouting away with him. What did that, when you read those words, what did that remind you of? And then, and then when I wrote that question for you to go back and compare, just look at the comparisons of what happened to Jesus and what happened to Paul. I mean, I just wasn't going to list them. I'm sure you came up with them, too. They both traveled to Jerusalem with disciples. Both experienced hostile Jews that plotted against them. People they would least expect their own people. Followers tried to discourage them from going. Remember when Peter heard and he said, No, no, you're not going. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He knew he had to go to the cross. He had to fulfill his father's will. And that's the next one. They both, Paul, Jesus, they were were just ready to lay down their own life, which they eventually did but they both wanted to complete their ministry and neither one of them wanted to deflect from it. They were both unjustly arrested. They both were beaten. And both their people turned on them. Crucify him. Away with him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I I say something to you? And the commander said, do you speak Greek? I think that was kind of like a question statement. Like he didn't expect Paul to be this educated man. It was kind of a surprise to him because he thought he was somebody altogether different. And Paul spoke Aramaic, but he also spoke fluent Greek. And so the commander was surprised. He said, "Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led four thousand terrorists out into the desert some time ago?" I wonder if Paul kind of snickered, like, "Who in the world?" Paul answered, "I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city." Now, what does that mean? He didn't say it. He didn't say it out loud. But he what is he? He's a Roman citizen. Now, he's not saying it now. All he says is, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. I'm a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and sisters, listen now to my defense. Now, that is one difference. Paul had his defense. And next week, we'll go into a beautiful testimony. Remember when Jesus, Jesus, the only time he defended himself is when they said, are you Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? But how can you and I be followers how in, how can you and I be in the center as well? How can you and I know the freedom in Christ? How can you and I, how can how can we live for him instead of ourselves? Especially when we know that it's gonna cost. I mean, in Philippians 3:10, Paul shared that he shared in Jesus' suffering. And if we want a life like Jesus and a life like Paul, which we are which is exactly what the Father's plan for us is—is is to turn us into the likeness of Jesus. How can we, when we know, because the Holy Spirit has told us through the Word, that it's not going to be an easy road? We shouldn't be a bit surprised when things and hard times do happen. When tem- when there's temptations that hit us. When when we sometimes feel like we're in the desert, when we feel like we're in the middle of storms, when we feel like we're crying out just like Gethsemane. You know, I just I come to the conclusion that I don't want to be surprised. He didn't say, in fact, he told us that in this world you will have trouble. But he also says, take heart, do not fear. Fear. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then because of what he has done that only he can do, isn't he worth it all? Is he worth laying down your life for? And from what I'm learning, that's why these examples of Paul and, and the, the apostles, those deacons, Stephen, it's so important that we get a grip on their lives because they show us that in the middle of life Jesus is so worth it. He's so worth it. He's so worth claiming his promises and one of his promises is, is that if, if we have to lay down our life for him he will gloriously raise us back up just like he did Jesus. Jesus. So keep going in Acts. We have so much to learn. And this was really such a good lesson when it kind of brings us right again to the center. Who am I living for? Am I really experiencing the freedom in Christ? Or am I still in bondage that I'm not letting God just take this because we have a power source in us that is greater than, than this bondage if we just let him do what he does best. But we've got to ask and seek and knock and surrender. Father in heaven, these are tough. These are tough lessons, but it is so worth it. Father, when we know your word, we will be set free and we won't be taken off guard because we're prepared and we're warned and we're ready. Thank you for this word and these lessons, for examples. These men that that have just stood for you and were willing to persevere because you are worth it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.